Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert and founder of Journey to Success Radio. Uh, my definite purpose in life is to encourage people to think, speak, and act positively through the many and varied challenges of life. And you can find about more about me in this interview at the journeytosuccessradio.com website. So journeytosuccessradio.com. And my guest today is, I think, the most interesting woman I've ever had the chance to know of or become friends with. Uh, I think of her, you know, that Dos Equus uh, beer commercial, the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> well, Anna is the most interesting woman in the world, Fauna Hodel, and I think I might have interviewed her, I know once, I think twice, might even be the third time here, and uh, the more I, the longer time I get to know her, the more I see uh, an amazingly positive attitude, and the woman can manifest people, events, places, and things like nobody I've known before, and uh, so you can always find out more about Fauna uh, she has uh, Fauna Hodel, H O D E L dot net. What are the other ones, Fauna? Fauna Hodel Speaks dot com, and then my book, One Day She'll Darken dot com. Right. Now summarize uh, in brief your story about the One Day She'll Darken. It's a little bit hard to summarize in brief, but take two or three minutes so that people really understand where you came from, from just a baby. Your drama started right when you were born. So explain to re- listeners a little bit about how that came to be, and uh, and uh, then we'll go on and discuss how you've been able to use that very challenging childhood to become the person you are today. Well, first of all, Tom, you are amazing, and it's such a blessing to be being interviewed by you one more time. What an honor and privilege. Well, my story, everybody has a story. Um, I am 64 years young. I'll actually be 65 August 1st. And my birth started um, arrangements for my, I was actually given away. Arrangements were made prior to my birth in a gambling casino in Reno, Nevada. The year is 1951 at the Riverside Hotel, and there was um, a black woman working in a in a gam- that gambling casino, the Riverside Hotel, working as a maid in the ladies' lounge, and she would be approached by a stranger to take a baby. Imagine, you know, this maid is busy doing her job and out of the blue, this woman asks her, how would you like to have a baby? And this lady sort of looks at her, you know, and she 
uh, Jimmy is her name just for namesake. You know, Jimmy Lee looks at this white woman who's saying to her, how would you like to have a baby? And she's like, a baby? Sure, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'd love to have a baby. Remember, this is 1951, and, you know, she's, years later, this Jimmy Lee would tell me the woman she thought was crazy, but if she was going to give her a tip, because the lady was holding a $50 bill, and so Jimmy Lee said, yes, ma'am, a show. I'd like to have a baby. (laughs) So um, before this lady leaves the the ladies' lounge, because at that time, blacks weren't even allowed to go in the gambling casino. She just happened to be, she worked there as a maid. So before she left, she took the ladies, um, the lady took her name, this, you know, stranger, took her name and wrote down Jimmy Lee, Riverside Hotel, ladies' lounge, and trotted off. And so before, um, maybe it was two or three weeks later, a telegram arrives, baby girl born, and Jimmy Lee, who had been given this telegram, and, you know, right here in the ladies' lounge, it gets delivered. It says, baby girl born, San Francisco, and with all the instructions where to go and pick up a baby. And Jimmy Lee would tell me years later, she promptly flushed it down the toilet. It was just too crazy for her. And that's, sort of the entry into <laughs> my my life. But what's so bizarre about that, Tom, is I, I didn't mention that this woman had said to Jimmy Lee that it was a race, a mixed-race baby, part black and part white. And during that time in America, you know, steeped in all the, the black-white stuff, um, it was there was no way that this young white girl who was pregnant was going to be allowed to keep a baby that was a mixed race. So this lady was out on a mission to give away this baby to find a person of color and give the baby away. And so you can ask me more questions, but that's sort of that's how it started. Right. And then from there... Uh, so on your birth certificate, the father was listed as a black, and the mother uh, uh, as uh, your mother was black Caucasian. as well. And so, no, Caucasian. no, 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 no. Caucasian. Caucasian. Right. right. So mixed exactly. uh, baby, but they didn't want the father, who was somewhat famous, uh, to be found out about this. And then no, you were no, pro- no, 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 no. The father. Back then, they would have said Negro, right? Okay. And so there was all... I, to this day, I still don't know who my birth father is. Oh. Supposedly, it's an... No, it's not for fact by any means who my father is. There's all this mystery around it. But my, I, would, I would find out years later that this very powerful grandfather would make arrangements for my giveaway in, in this mysterious manner. But this black, this black maid, and I say black and white just for descriptions. For me, it's only a description because who right. we are is defined by the content of our character. Right. But this, um, this black maid who would raise me told me the story of how she, when she was told about this baby and, you know, me and flushed, flushed the telegram down the toilet of all places, a few weeks later, that same lady comes back to the 
ladies' lounge and comes storming in saying, you said you would go to San Francisco and pick up that baby and that poor baby doesn't have a home and what kind of person are you? And at that time, because Jimmy Lee's husband was working in the casino as a shoeshine man, so she and that maid, I would find out many years later that lady's name, um, God, Dorothy, Dorothy would, and my she and they went they they went to the shoe shine man where he was shining shoes. Jimmy's husband, who also was a pastor in the evening, they mama I called her mom. She would become my mama, and I'm telling uh, telling the story obviously from her telling me the story. But they went downstairs, and Jimmy Lee told the. Uh, uh, Chris, the minister, the shoeshine man, who she said, this woman says we have to go take this baby. There's this baby in San Francisco. It's mixed race. Nobody wants it. We we have to go see about this baby. And the, imagine how shocked the shoeshine man is. What do you mean? What baby? <laughs> so that evening... Um, Jimmy Lee had a change of heart. There was no way she was going to go, you know, to San Francisco and go pick up the baby. And she already had a little drinking problem. And the minister thought, you know, well, maybe Chris thought, well, maybe this is a sign from God that if I, we go and pick up this baby, maybe it'll help his wife become a better, better person. So all night, Jimmy would tell me years later he was up preaching to her how God, you know, wanted this wanted them to take care of this baby and it was a sign from God and so that morning just to shut him up she wakes him up you know, they get up and they take the drive from Reno, Nevada to San Francisco and they go to Saint Elizabeth's unwed mother's home and make arrangements and boom that was that was the real beginning they picked me up and bring me back to Reno Nevada amazing and and I never darkened <laughs> right you know and you grew up in a you grew up in an all black neighborhood you were the only well, white person and so you all, you got what is termed reverse racism and tell me how that kind of felt because uh, pretty well, pretty hard to be the only white person in it all dark. Well, Just you know, it would be the reverse. In my family, certainly in Reno, Sparks, Nevada, it, it was a small black population. But whenever we would, my Jimmy Lee would take me often to Southern California, where her family was in South Central LA, and I would be the only white-skinned person around and. And yes, I was treated that imagine that was we're talking you know the early fifties pre civil rights and i i was it was skin color was always an issue, you know what are you doing with those black people? Black people are going, who are you? what are you doing with <laughs> us and 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 I learned how to lean on angels. I just thought it was all too crazy couldn't even as an early age, I went. You know, I thought to myself, don't they know we're just all human? What is all this color stuff? But there I was right in the middle of it all, you know. White people treated me like I lived with cockroaches. Black people treated me like, 
I lived with aliens, and obviously there were wonderful, kind, good people who didn't buy into any of that. But, you know, society on a whole, it was all about the color of your skin right. or lack of color of your skin. <laughs> and despite this challenging and interesting upbringing, two women in your life life taught you when you were young the two things that you would use your entire life one taught you about think and grow rich and a positive attitude and the they also taught you about god's love and god's angels so talk about those two because if you just have that if you just know about think and grow rich and uh, the success principles and you know god and applied faith, and God's angels watching over you, that's all you really need to succeed in life. So, you know, it's sort of interesting. From the time I was a little girl, my even though my mom, Jimmy Lee, was literally the town drunk, it wasn't, a little, it wasn't the perfect little story by any means, you know, and I don't care what color your skin is, a drunk is a drunk is a drunk. But her her mother, and I called her Big Mama, always took me to church, and I grew up in the church, and she taught me about God and God's angels and that I was always protected and that people might be mean and cruel, but know that all I had to do was look up and you know, there was something about Big Mama's stories that I bought that, Tom. I knew I was blessed and protected, you know. And and then I also had Annette Rosie, who she was she was way ahead of her time. She was one of these women that I kept hearing stories about, you know, um, thinking grow rich and she was always because she would she would just for example just to backtrack for a minute when I was a little girl I'd spend the night with Aunt Rosie and she'd pull out her dream book when I'd wake up in the morning and she'd go baby what did you dream about and she'd look up to see I'd tell her what my dream was and she'd find an interpretation for it and then she'd tell me about she was so she was always like watching the words that came out of her mouth and my mouth and everybody around her saying about the power of, you know, the spoken word. And she was reading this book called Think and Grow Rich. And then she also uh, listened to Reverend Ike. So I was blessed, Tom, to grow up with, you know, a grandmother that took me to church and taught me about God and God's angels and my Aunt Rosie, who was into progressive thinking, you know, the power of the mind. And she studied, you know, Napoleon Hill, thinking, grow rich. And, uh-huh. and yeah, it was just amazing, amazing, amazing to grow up. Because that was, you know, because back then, thinking, grow rich, things like that, and Reverend Ike were sort of, that was a little foreign to the church. That's right. a lot foreign. <laughs> right. It was in the early days of Napoleon Hill. Thinking Go Rich was only published in 1937, so first 20, 30 years, and and uh, Napoleon Hill even wrote about Reverend Ike in uh, several of his books, including Thinking Grow Rich. And so, what a blessing to have a a big mama who teaches you about God and God's angels, and then uh, Aunt Rosie who taught you about Thinking Grow Rich. And and so I think, or I know, 
I know from knowing you that the number one principle of Napoleon Hill that you hold so dearly to and are as a person just naturally after this many years is your positive mental attitude. Uh, you would have a million excuses for not doing anything with your life and for succumbing to all the challenges you face, but your positive attitude is really... And the other one is, uh, I think in this day and age they call it the law of intention, but I call it manifesting. Your positive attitude and your ability to manifest people and circumstances and situations, for instance, the places you've lived, those two qualities really have been your strengths, haven't they? Absolutely. You know, from the time I was a little girl, I just knew that all I had to do was look up and to be quiet and pray. And, you know, and also when I was in my 20s, I started actively studying, you know, like I read Think and Grow Rich for myself and I started applying the principles and even like Louise Hay, The Power of Affirmations, growing up with what I grew up with, you know, prayer, faith, those types of things, uh, the power of intention, the power of the spoken word. And considering it all, yes, I've done pretty good. I I might not have, you know, amassed millions of dollars yet, but I certainly have created millions and millions of dollars of blessings. You know, it's just every I people call me the lemonade queen, you know, put me in a situation <laughs> I'm going to end up right at the top in the middle of it all. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> right. And you've raised uh, helped raise millions of dollars for charity. You've really made a positive uh, contribution to the world and so those are legacies that will live forever. Now the one thing that I find quite fascinating is that you decided on your definite purpose for life when you were eight years old. And you can ask any eight-year-old what they want to do, and some of them will be far-fetched. Some of them will, a lot of them will want to be in TV or movies, you know, sports stars. And, and A, they're going to change their goal or plan about 92 times in the next 10 years. And B, they don't achieve what they decided on at age eight. You decided at age eight, <laughs> your purpose in life, that you were going to have a movie made about your life, and you're soon about to have the second movie made about your life because you had a first one. So go through that thinking and, and how at age eight you decided that, and then eventually it came yeah. around the first time, and now it may come around the second time as well. Well, it's sort of interesting, the story behind all of that. When I was eight years old, uh, Mama and I, Jimmy Lee, went to the theater to see a movie called Imitation of Life. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And my mom, who was a little tipsy, she was always a little tipsy, we were walking in the movie theater to go see this movie that had, you know, African-American, well, back then they didn't say African-American people. Let me just stick with black because I love the color black and black is, the description and it's powerful, but we knew there was going to be, you know, it was a mixed cast and cast and back then that was a big thing to my mother and the people around me and I was excited to be going in this movie. But Mama, as I said, was a little drunk. 
you know, and I remember because Sparks, Nevada was primarily white, and there I was walking in the theater with my black mom, and she's tipsy, obviously tipsy, and I remember the people around us just staring, and I'm, and I remember holding Mama's hand, going, "Mama, are you okay?" and and I remember the white people looking at me like and whispering, what is she doing calling that N-I-G-G, you know what I'm right. going to say, you know, mama. And, oh, they were just mean and cruel. So I, we go in there, we, you know, we're seated, the movie starts. And this movie is a tearjerker. It's like about a light-skinned um, little girl who grows up in an environment of hatred because of skin color and it just rips your heart out and there's a touching scene right at the end that and it's a classic and I'm sure many people have seen that movie but I remember at the end of the movie everybody in the audience is just sobbing because a little girl realizes she's broken her mother's heart because she so hates the color of her skin and her mother has died and she's all of us are sobbing and the girl who had rejected her mother because of the darkness of her skin she was brokenhearted because her mother had died and she had run away from her and I remember mama looking at me saying baby would you ever leave me and I remember looking at mama saying mama I would never leave you and I remember Tom at that moment I vowed I was going to grow up and make a movie that would touch people's hearts the way I had seen that audience be impacted and after the movie was over those same mean people it's like I swear to you you could feel their hearts had melted something that film had created change in that audience and I vowed I would do that too. So fast forward, it took me many years. By the time I was 39 years old, remember I was eight then, but 39, I had drew to me a woman that believed in me and put in hundreds of thousands of dollars. And to me, she would later earn it all back. But we we, um, went to L.A. and met Sean Ferrer, the the son of Audrey Hepburn, and we pulled together a team of people and produced a movie, Alfrey Woodard, Charles Dutton, Joe Claybert, Tess Harper, Allison Elliott, Bobby Hosea, Willard Pugh, amazing, amazing people. And But the thing is, with all the mystery around my giveaway, we actually were told before, um, the, uh, right after the first script was done, that we had to change the names to protect the guilty. This George Hodel, who was my birth um, grandfather, they had tried to stop us, and I was determined nothing was going to stop this, and I agreed to let the names be changed. And lo and behold, that particular film, Tom, even though we made a movie, and it's that stopped with only two days left of filming, so imagine, there I am, It's by this time, it's 1991, and we have a film with millions of dollars in it. A young Korean man uh, gave me the financing, and I brought all these people together, and there we were, stopped. I was obviously devastated, and 
took me off my feet for a few minutes, but then, you know, I just, with the principles I've always held on to, I always believe there's a time and a season and a reason, and all those years, I just never quit. I just kept keeping my story alive, telling my story to every human being that I would talk to or encounter, and somehow along the way, you know, through all the obstacles, I would meet um, someone connected me directly to Patty Jenkins. And Patty Jenkins is a woman who she's well known for. She wrote and directed the movie Monster. Charlie Theron won an Oscar for it. And as we speak, she just got through um, directing the brand new Warner Brothers uh, Wonder Woman. It's like a $100 million film, you know, and she loves my story and her goal is as soon as she's she's almost wrapped up with what she's doing is to well hire a writer and develop a um pilot and the goal is possibly a series as compared to a film and I like the idea of a series song because mm-hmm. there's so much material. I could go on for hours telling you the twists and right. turns and, and you don't <laughs> on and leave on about the story. In series you can put everything in. You have to put everything in to fill up a series. Exactly, exactly. So what I'm most proud of is, you know, I have this kind of personality stuff happens. You know, and it's how do I move through it? Do I mean, I might get down for a second, but I don't stay there too long because I know the power of the spoken word. I know the power of our thoughts. And I also know who my source is, and I know that I have a mission, and I have to keep on keeping on. No, I just somehow, some way, how to use all this for good. Right, amen. And an interview cannot be a genuine interview with you unless uh we talk about your daughters you can't even uh-huh. well, you can't go on your facebook for like more than two <laughs> posts without finding something about your daughters and so uh, talk about them and and bringing them up and, uh-huh. and uh, how they biggest. are today as those, women those are my biggest accomplishments you know i only i had my first daughter Yvette, when i was only 16 years old, imagine August 1st, I turned 16, and she is born August 7th, and she is a biracial baby. I, Even though I would find out that it was all a lie that my father is not a black man as it was listed on my birth certificate, which created a lot of grief in my soul, because I can assure you I wanted to be black, I wanted to belong, I wanted to be a part of my family, and Later, I would become a universal being and not into color at, at all. But I have this amazing, beautiful biracial baby who is still my, you know, my best friend. She just brought pure joy into my life. And 11 years later, I would give birth to Rasha, who is, you know, has a different father and a white guy, and she's blonde and blue eyes, and my story now represents the color of love. And on top of it all, she's a gay woman, and so now I have, you know, this, we're all family. It's all about love and oneness, and my children are everything to me. You know, all I know is, for some reason, 
you know, I never manifested giant wealth. I've certainly had large amounts of money, pockets at different pockets, but for some reason, you know, because the money issue, more than the color issue, I don't care what color you are, the money stuff, if we don't have the money, the challenges around that. So I feel that one of my life purposes and what I've shared with my daughters is how to manifest, how to create, how to live in the moment. It's really not about how much money you've accumulated and is, you know, in your bank account. Right. It's about your faith and how you live and how you, you know, you're being a good human being. So I honestly can say that my children, my girls, they're both, you know, they're women, they're powerful women. And it's sort of interesting, this might be a good time to put this in, but, you know, I've throughout my lifetime, I... I've had many challenges. I've had many successes. For many years, first of all, you know, prior to do, doing the film, I was in the art world. I've sold the I've sold the art, you know, things we do to keep us going while we're working our dreams. But I've sold the artwork of Anthony Quinn, Tony Curtis, Red Skelton, Thomas Kincaid, Picasso, Chagall. I mean, you name it. I've been involved in the art world for years and years and years, you know, to take care of myself and and my family. And then while working my dream to create a multi-million dollar film, and then when it was stopped, obviously that was a challenge. Hundreds of thousands of dollars were put back into the saving of that film, doing everything I could. And so my children watched me go up and down, you know, many times. But through it all, they saw that I never did anything terrible, like just kept trying to be the best person I could be. So through the journey, I, then I would go on and I would come to um, L.A. And I, because for many years I lived, lived in Hawaii where I met, meeting my birth mom, which you'll have to read my book, One Day She'll Darken, to understand all this story. And it's my first 25 years, but I would end up, um, working for a, an amazing magazine, Celebrity Society magazine, a magazine all about philanthropists and people who pay it forward. So that put me back in the middle of the most exciting time of my life, even though I would I made a movie and it got stopped and I was always working to save it. There I was, Tom, all of a sudden, my children saw me involved with some of the richest people in L.A. and the people who were leading the John John Wayne Cancer Society or Ava's Heart or, oh gosh, um, Operation Smile. So that opened a whole new area of my life. So my girls just saw I kept kept on keeping on. And then through it all, you know, through the things that I kept myself going, doing, speaking at universities, sharing my story, my book, One Day She'll Darken. But my most recent thing that's happened and where my girls came in like, oh, my God, I can't even believe it. Lo and behold, the shock of a lifetime for me out of everything I've ever been through approximately six weeks ago, taking a shower, I would find a lump in my left breast and I obviously, I mean, I had had a mammogram about a year and a half prior to that, and 
nothing, you know, nothing was found and boom, there's, you know, something in my breast. I have it checked and um, it was in a trillion years that I ever think that I would be diagnosed with breast cancer. But Tom, you know, talk about challenges and my my daughters are like immediately with they blue you know, we've been together and they they're right with me holding my hand during this new adventure of breast cancer. So starting I'm scheduled May tenth to start chemo. So am I petrified? Am I am I terrified? But but in the same breath, I really, there's a sense in my being that that same force that brought me here on a mission that has held my hand all of my life, I know I'm going to be okay, Tom. You know, and in this body, because there's not one, in any of our bodies, not one of us is getting out of here alive. Right. We have to do every We have to do everything we can to maintain this body while we're here. Stuff will happen, and that's where I'm at as we speak. I'm currently dealing with that while I'm waiting for Patty Jenkins to be done with Wonder Woman, but for some reason, here I am. I'm going to go through this too, and this too shall pass. Right, right. Using the faith, using faith. (laughs) Right, with the positive attitude and the faith you have and the ability to manifest things, I think this is, you're just going to kick this to the curb and it'll just be another chapter in your story. And with such a strong purpose since the age of eight, God clearly has shown you that is the right purpose and you need to be around for when it uh, manifests. And so uh, I'm not... Oh, uh, totally. I'm not, I'm not worried at all <laughs> about you. Uh, the challenge will be tough. It will be fatiguing <laughs> and challenging yeah. as any cancer therapy is, but I'm pretty sure... 100% sure at the end of it, cancer will be running away and say, let's not go back there. And no, it's sort of interesting. <laughs> I'm in a place, my my youngest daughter lives in Battleground, Washington, and we made a decision for me, to, instead of being, remaining in um, Beverly Hills, to be here, you know, in Battleground. So what a perfect place to conquer cancer in Battleground, Washington. I'm that kind of person. Everything has to have a reason. It has, there's a sign behind it in Battleground. I used to think, oh, my God, my daughter lives in Battleground. What a name for a town. But now I love that name. Now it's like, hey, I'm in a battle, so let's go to the Battleground. And let's conquer it. And with all the prayers and, you know, the love of my family and, you know, everybody has just been such a major support there. I'm so blessed, Tom. I just, every day keeps getting better and better. And, and I have to tell you, and for, I feel totally fine. And that's what they say about, you know, breast cancer. Evidently, you can have it and not even be aware it's in your body. Other than feeling a bit tired, I would have Never known, you know, because there was a lump there, I decided, like, yeah, obviously, I couldn't ignore it. I needed to have it checked and shocked to, you know, find out that it's cancerous. But, you know, it is. So here I am, how to deal with it. Stuff will happen in your life. And as long as you 
use those positive principles, number one, praying, knowing, affirming you're divinely blessed and protected and somehow, some way this too will work out as long, you know, our souls, our soul is what is eternal. I know I'm a kind, good person. I certainly am not a saint, but I've done the best I can with everything. But what I do know, this body, I broke my leg in 2007, and I didn't want to have a surgery because I so don't like, you know, I don't want the medical profession around me. I'm like, I can, you know, I'll go to an acupuncturist or something. But the truth is, I could never walk again if I didn't have surgery. And I'm so grateful that, you know, through modern technology, they can put a metal plate in your leg and screws and whatever is necessary. But stuff will happen to this body. It's just our bodies. How, and you, Tom, with all your stuff, right, I know about you know. metal and <laughs> wires and all kinds of uh, amazing things in my body. And we're blessed to live in North America. We have access to the best health care in the world. And yes. I don't often yes. pray for God to do miracles. I ask him to just do miracles through your own people, your own hospitals. And yes. Those are very, yes. very talented people. Yes. Pray for the yeah, and everything, and it's fixable. And in most cases, you know, right. and start just how we move through it. So grateful that, like my, I have a beautiful ninety-four-year-old that I share a place with there in Beverly Hills. She's just like a best mother I ever had in my life. She, God just brought this amazing woman into my life, and I was sharing her place up until a few weeks ago there in Beverly Hills and she said and she she drives she's amazing she loves life but she says to me well it's sort of like you know if you're you just take your body to the service I mean you, you, if you're something happens to your car you just take it to the service station <laughs> you just something goes wrong with your body you take it in to get fixed and I went you're right Shirley we're going to fix this problem <laughs> right I even wanted to touch on that a bit part of your manifesting <laughs> you've manifested amazing <laughs> places to live in at a price oh, that my God. Like, people would their jaws would drop at learn of what I you know. These. So talk so about blessed. the place in Beverly Hills oh, because this is an amazing well, place. Yeah, well prior to that I was in a beautiful beach villa in Honolulu, you know, five thousand square feet. I lived there for almost three years and I got to house it. It somehow, some way, it, inland, it, that blessing came into my life, and I was driven. I'm given a Mercedes to drive. They even paid me to be in this beautiful place, and you know, I've just ho- hosted a lot of people there because it was mine. The people who actually owned it had never stepped foot in there for eight wow. years. I mean, I know. <laughs> then. Lo and behold, you know, um, my dear friend, Lillianne, who had actually, I had ended up helping her through, um, she had a um, a stroke, a major stroke. And when I was in, I had went back to Honolulu, but that's a whole other story. And while I was there, she had a, a brainstem stroke. So after that beach villa sold and I'd been away for a while and, returned to Honolulu. I stayed there with her to help get her back on her feet. Um, And she actually introduced me to this beautiful woman that she had known for 
20, 30 years in Beverly Hills. Mrs. Lillian used to sell black pearls. And so there, when I I met Shirley, you know, when you just connect with someone, I just loved her spirit. I went to visit Lillian there when she was visiting with Shirley, you know, um, a few years prior or something. But she had invited me to come and stay with her because I, you know, I've always been working to save my film. So I was in and out of L.A. quite often. And so she invited me to stay there just, you know, for, you know, while I was there. And then eventually after I was done helping my friend get back on her feet and I was able to have her do handy van on her own, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I need to be back in LA full time. And, and I love Beverly Hills. It's like my childhood dream. Mama used to work as a maid in, in Beverly Hills and she'd say to me, baby, you aren't ever scrubbing any floors. And the, one day you're going to have a home in Beverly Hills. So that I ended up having that dream come true too, Mama's dream, to have me have a home in Beverly Hills. So Shirley invited me, instead of to going to rent a place, when I decided to go back to L.A. and I was staying there at Shirley's, she said, why don't you just, with or actually no I approached her I said surely rather than rent a place can I can I rent from you because she had an extra that extra guest room and so I gave her a figure that I felt I could afford you know and she looked at me and she says I don't think so and she cut the price in half of what that figure <laughs> is and I won't say it um right, it's, but a it's a fairly thing. low and describe <laughs> it, it looks, out, looks out onto what and it's close to what <laughs> it's so and there I was you know like three minutes from Rodeo Drive right so I certainly got to live in, you know, Beverly Hills. And, you know, I did a lot of volunteer work while, because I love giving. I just, I was part of, I still am actually part of the Beverly Hills Chamber as an ambassador. And I just, you know, I just, I because of the whole philanthropic aspect of Beverly Hills and L.A., it wasn't all the, you know, the la-la-la-la stuff. Right. But it was more, because I met so many rich, powerful, amazing people that are using their money to pay it forward. I mean, truly. And that's what that magazine brought into my life. Mimi Maccabee of Celebrity Society Magazine, who is like my third daughter, speaking of children. These people have all introduced me to such a wonderful world of people who give and pay it forward. And speaking of Mimi also has been right in my corner with my two daughters, as well as my youngest daughter. She's, you know, they're so, she set up, a, they set up, a both of them, a GoFundMe to get me moved. I mean, I just talk about blessings. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the people who love you and that you love. And we're all here for one another. That's what this world is, you know, it's about kindness. My the reason I wanted to make a movie when I was a little girl was to point people to kindness and oneness and, you know, instead of being mean to one another, to realize we're all in this together. How can we move forward and help each other? How can we help make our world a better place, a kinder place for our children, for our children's children? So that's the mission on the planet, not how to get up and survive. 
is how to get up and make a difference, how to use your life for good, how to be one more kind person on this planet. Amen. Amen. And you are certainly fulfilling your purpose and that uh, purpose as well. And uh, uh, I'm very confident of the future for you of many years to come. Oh, well, I am so precious. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm so proud to be a part of your new book that's coming out right. too, that you're putting together. That's a thrill. That'll be very cool. You'll be a best-selling author as well as uh, featured in a movie, so very good for you, and thank you for <laughs> joining our team on that. Well, thank you so much for your time, Fauna. Always amazing to talk to you. Here. And, and someone, who's just been di- someone who's just been diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, your positive attitude is pretty amazing. Uh, and, you know, my little Leilani Rose just opened the door and she said aloha. I don't know if you could hear in the background while you were talking, but I'm so blessed I have. And, you know, my best therapy is just being with being with my granddaughter. What a blessing. But, Tom, you are an angel. You're doing so much good on this planet. I just love you. And I just know you're going to help millions and millions and millions of more people. You're awesome. Amen. Thanks so much, Fauna. Again, Fauna Hodel. H-O-D-E-L dot net, one day she'll darken dot com, or Fauna, was it Fauna Hodel Speaks dot com? And then I have one more, Affirmations for You. Affirmations, the number four, and then the letter U dot com. Because my goal is, even in the middle of all this, is to keep sharing with people the power of the spoken word. Amen. It's so important how when something happens to you, how do you bless it? You right. can curse it or bless it. I choose to bless it. Right. And you can too. My wife calls me the word police because uh, I will <laughs> not let negativity get out of someone's mouth without pointing it out. No. So, amen. Well, You're thank awesome. you so much, Tana. Safana, have an amazing day. And I'll look forward to many more years of you to come. Thank you. Blessings and love. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.